your car and it's going to cost more to get it fixed.
it's a little chilly in here. Apparently their furnace has gone on vacation as well. Uh, but I understand that a warm smile and a friendly accommodating look will warm the entire room. I don't have any facts to that, but that's my statement and I'm sticking to it. Good morning, everybody. Let's do a couple of announcements. I see uh, one, two, three, and four. We all know by heart. Number five, evening service will be tonight at 6 p.m. Please bring drinks and a dish to pass. Do we have any announcements from the from the group this morning that uh, we need to be made aware of? Everybody's content. Well, let's go through and uh, do our scripture reading for meditation this morning, taken from the book of Proverbs, chapter 9, be page 996 in your pew Bible. Let's all stand together we begin our service and prayer.
Father in heaven, as we come before you this hour, we pray, O oh Lord, that your Holy Spirit would commune with us, that the Holy Spirit would gird us and strengthen us in all of our thoughts, our actions, and our presence. We pray, Father, that as we come about this service, you would purify our hearts, that we look to you in all things, the distractions of the world will be set aside, and that the words that are preached this hour would be edifying to us and glorifying to you. Be with pastor as he brings forth the message. Let him be strong. Let him be of good fortitude. And let the words that he preaches, Lord, convict the lost. But give every reassurance to those who are in your, your hands, in your glory. Be with us, O Lord. In the name of Christ we ask. Amen. Good morning. Will you turn with me to 441 in the brown?
scripture reading for this morning is taken from the book of Genesis 34, verses 1 through 17. That'll be page 54 in your pew Bible. When you come to that, please stand with us. Now Dinah, the daughter of Leah, had born to Jacob, went out to visit the women of the land. When Shechem, son of Hamar, the Hivite, the ruler of that area, saw her, he took her and violated her. His heart was drawn to Dinah, daughter of Jacob, and he loved the girl and spoke tenderly to her. And Shechem said to his father, Hamar, get me this girl as my wife. When Jacob heard that his daughter Dinah had been defiled, his sons were in the fields with his livestock, so he kept quiet about it until they came home. Then Shechem's father, Hamor, went out to talk with Jacob. Now Jacob's sons had come in from the fields. As soon as they heard what had happened, they were filled with grief and fury because Shechem had done a disgraceful thing in Israel by lying with Jacob's daughter, a thing that should not be done. But Hamor said to them, My son Shechem has his heart set on your daughter. Please give her to him as his wife. Intermarry with us. Give us your daughters and take our daughters for yourselves. You can settle among us. The land is open to you. Live in it. Trade. And acquire property in it. Then Shechem said to Dinah's father and brothers, Let me find favor in your eyes, and I will give you whatever you ask. Make the price for the bride, and I will give the gift I am to bring as great as you like, and I will pay whatever you ask me. Only give me the girl as my wife. Because their sister Dinah had been defiled, Jacob's sons replied deceitfully as they spoke to Shechem and his father Hamor. They said to him, We can't do such a thing. We can't give our sister to a man who is not circumcised. That would be a disgrace to us. We will give our consent to you on one condition only, that you become like us by circumcising all your males. Then we will give you our daughters and take your daughters for ourselves. We'll settle among you and become one people with you. But if you will not agree to be circumcised, We'll take our sister and go. Father in heaven, may you add your blessing to this holy and inspired scripture. In the name of Christ, amen. If you all will turn with me again to 299 in the red.
Our text this morning is Genesis chapter 34. In our last study of the patriarchs, we saw that even with all the apprehension Jacob and uh, his followers had in coming to meet Esau, the actual reunion was very amiable. Esau received Jacob and his family with open arms. The trickery of Jacob's past deception was with Esau were or they either they were forgotten or more likely put out of mind intentionally as not being nearly so important as reestablishing family ties. Pity those families which allow a squabble of the past to define the rest of their relationship characterized by anger and malice and nasty rhetoric and mean-spirited behavior and harsh speech. This is no way to live and it is particularly a bad way to die. I mean, think about it. We go to the grave with swords drawn and tongues wagging. That's no way to meet God. Esau reconciled to Jacob. And that teaches us to do the same with those with whom we are at odds. Our scriptures in the New Testament tell us, don't let the sun set on your anger. What does that mean? Simply, it means don't let the day end before you are reconciled or any disputes that you had during the day. Any harsh words, any wrongdoing that you did, get it right before you go to bed. Today's study moves to chapter 34 of Genesis in which Dinah, Jacob's daughter by Leah, is violated by Shechem, which none of her brothers took lightly, as we're going to see. Traveling to the promised land necessitates traveling through this wicked world. It is a wicked world. And it is therefore not always smooth sailing as we go through. At times, some horrible things happen to God's people, but even here, we're to trust that God knows what he's doing and that he takes note of all the wrongs. I don't think anything slips past God's undetected and unresolved. It doesn't. He sees it all. Peter put it this way, The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous And his ears are attentive to their prayers. But the face of the Lord, the eyes and ears together, is against those who do evil. 1 Peter 9, verse 12. So God is looking on us with the idea of watch care and listening to our prayer requests, hearing our needs. But he looks upon the evil with the idea of His face, both eyes and ears, is against those who do evil. 
So we come to this text today, and it is a delicate subject because it's dealing with sexual improprieties. I'm always conscious of that when I come to speak on such matters. But this is life. This really is life. And guess what? God, who is holy beyond anything that you and I are, put it in his book because he wants us to know about it, be aware of it, and to be forewarned, as they say, is to be forearmed. We can put up our radar and sense when something might be very, very wrong and needs to be addressed. So as we come to our scripture today, it's Genesis 34, <clears throat> let's ask for the Lord's enablement. Thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you that you're so forthcoming with regard to all of life. It's times like this we are really reminded that we live in a sinful, wicked, God-hating world. And you didn't take us out, and you didn't take the wickedness out yet. That day is coming. So we have to learn how to deal with the things that happen in life. And here we are talking uh, seriously about things that disturb our society still with us today. We ask for your enablement, your wisdom. May Jesus be exonerated and blessed as we teach the truth in Christ's name. Amen. We read in verse 1, Now Dinah, the daughter of Leah, had born to Jacob, went out to visit the women of the land. When Shechem, son of Hamor, the Hivite, the ruler of the area, saw her, he took her and he violated her. His heart was drawn to Dinah, daughter of Jacob, and he loved the girl and spoke tenderly to her. And Shechem said to his father Hamor, Get me this girl as my wife. When Jacob heard that his daughter Dinah had been defiled, his sons were in the fields with the livestock, so he kept quiet about it until they came home. Then Shechem's father, Hamor, went out to talk with Jacob. Now Jacob's sons had come in from the field. And as soon as they heard what had happened, they were filled with grief and fury because Shechem had done a disgraceful thing in Israel by lying with Jacob's daughter, a thing that should not be done. But Hamer said to them, my son Shechem has his heart set on your daughter. Please give her to him as his wife. Intermarry with us. Give us your daughters. Take our daughters for yourselves. You can settle among us. The land is open to you. Live in it. Trade in it. Acquire property in it. And Jacob then Shechem said to Dinah's father and brothers, 
Let me find favor in your eyes, and I will give you whatever you ask. Make the price for the bride and the gift I am to bring to you great as you like. I'll pay whatever you like. Only give the girl as my wife. Because their sister Dinah had been defiled, Jacob's sons replied deceitfully as they poked to Shechem and his father Hamar. They said to them, Oh, we can't do such a thing. We can't give our sister to a man who is not circumcised. That would be a disgrace to us. We will give our consent to you on one condition, one condition only, that you become like us by circumcising all your males. Then we will give you our daughters and take your daughters for ourselves. We will settle among you and become one people with you. But if you will not agree to be circumcised, We'll take our sister and go. We read this account and we observe that Dinah was an innocent victim. 33 and verse 18 tells us that Jacob and his family arrived safely at the city of Shechem in Canaan and camped within sight of the city. You see, God had kept his promise to him, which was this, chapter 31, verse 3. Go back to the land of your fathers and to your relatives, and I will be with you. The qualifier, he arrived safely, chapter 3, verse 18, is not accidental. It indicates that travel in this day among the Semitic tribes, was sometimes very dangerous. In fact, before Jacob ever left the environs of Palestine, he took a vow to God at Bethel, where he had the dream of a staircase, you remember. We read, then Jacob made a vow saying, If God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey that I am taking... And will give me food to eat and clothes to wear. So that I return safely in my father's house. Then the Lord will be my God. And this stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house. That was done at Bethel, remember. And of all that you give me, I will give you a tenth the tithe. Genesis 28. Verse 20 and following. Now Jacob has been gone for 20 plus years. Yet, here he is again, back in Canaan where his journey began. He is safe. He's safe and sound despite the many trials that he has had to endure with the treachery of his father-in-law Laban the long-time threats of his estranged brother Esau. But all that is kind of behind him now. There's peace. There's tranquility. 
he is safe. And so sensing that safety, he purchased a plot of land from the sons of Amor, upon which he did two things. Number one, he pitched his tent, 33 verse 19. And number two, he built an altar to worship God, verse 20. He called that altar El Elohi, Israel. Mighty is the God of Israel. The campsite, the worship site, indicate that in Jacob's mind, he planned to stay there a while. He's sick of traveling. He's weary of relocating his vast herds of livestock. Think about that. He's moving thousands of animals. By they got to walk. He has to herd them to wherever they're going. There's no transport for this going on. So it will be so good just to stop and rest a while. He will have time to think. He'll have time to contemplate on God and his goodness and to worship unencumbered by the trials of life. Or... uh, or Willie. No sooner has Jacob settled into Canaan than Dinah, his daughter, on an innocent trip to town to visit with the women folk there, chapter 34, verse 1, was accosted by Shechem, son of Hamar, the ruler who violated her. Hebrew, he forced himself on her against her wishes. In other words, he raped her. Now, because of all the feminist movement's influence on our society, rape is identified in our society not as a crime of passion, but as a crime of anger and rage and hatred and power. That's what we're told. Male being stronger. So that's what goes on. But observe verse 3. It says of Shechem's, his heart was drawn to Dinah. Oh, how does that fit in? His heart was drawn to Dinah, daughter of Jacob, and he loved the girl and spoke tenderly to her. Hmm. And Jacob said, Shechem said to his father, get me this girl as my wife. Now, without denying that Shechem manhandled Dinah against her wishes, it's clear from the inspired text that he loved Dinah. That's what God is saying here. He loved Dinah and wanted to take her as his wife. Now, he certainly went about it in a sinful way. His conduct is repulsive. It's indefensible. But it does demonstrate that some rape is fueled by passion. Not anger. Not rage. Not hatred. Which the women's movement in our country always says that that's the reason for it. So Shechem had a proposal to Jacob and to Dinah's brothers. Jacob waited till his sons came in from the field before disclosing what had happened. 
And in the interim, Hamar, Shechem's father, tried to arrange the marriage for Dinah. Verse 8, my son Shechem has his heart set on your daughter. Please, or, please give her to him as his wife. There's the intent. Intermarry with us. Give us your daughters. We'll take your daughters for ourselves. You can settle among us. The land's open to you. Live in it. Trade in it. Acquire property in it. Hmm. May I say this is a very generous dowry. There's more. Verse 11. Jacob said to Dinah's father and brothers, Let me find favor in your eyes, and I will give you whatever you ask. Make the price for the bride and the gift I am to bring as great as you like. And I'll pay whatever you ask me. Boy, this guy has it bad, doesn't he? He has so fallen for Dinah that he's telling Jacob and her brothers they have a blank check on which they may name their price. He's ready to mortgage the farm to get Dinah. This was a tremendously good faith proposal which Jacob and his sons we're never likely to see again. For one thing, not many men would have the resources at Shechem's disposal. For another, how many fathers like Hamor would be so ready to marry into another tribe and to offer their daughters in marriage to facilitate an alliance? That's iffy. From our vantage point, it looks like a win-win situation for both families. Shechem gets to marry the love of his life. Hamer gets a daughter-in-law. His son adores. Jacob secures a home for his maiden daughter, Dinah. And the brothers get to name their price in the dowry. We look at all that and we say, wow, sign me up. What a deal. Well, not so fast. Not so fast. There's a fly in the ointment, as we say. Hasn't Hamar and his son Shechem forgotten the travesty done to Dinah? Maybe so, but Dinah's brothers have not forgotten. Their feelings on the matter are stated in verse 7 and following. As soon as they were apprised of what had happened, they were filled with grief and fury. You can just see it. Grief and fury. Because Shechem had done a disgraceful thing in Israel by lying with Jacob's daughter, a thing that should not be done. So these brothers were not just uncaring lugs who wanted to crash some heads together. 
Now they grieve for Dinah. And they entered into her emotional pain and disgrace. That's number one. Secondly, they were furious. The Hebrew word confirmed, uh, the, the Hebrew word means to be inflamed or enraged. They were furious that their sister would be so ill-treated by this Hivite clan. Wow. Is this the way you treat guests in your country? Is there no moral decency presiding over you Hivites? Or are you just slaves to your own passionate lusts? All good questions. These brothers were hopping mad. And even a magnanimous dowry was not going to buy their approval of the marriage and placate the wickedness done to Dinah. They're not buying this. So what did they come up with? Well, they came up with a deceitful response to Jacob's brothers. Verse 14. Because their sister Dinah, by the way, her name means judgment. Dinah, judgment. Because their sister Dinah had been defiled, Jacob's sons replied deceitfully. Ooh, okay. What was the deceit? Verse 15. We will give our consent to you on one condition only, that you become like us by circumcising all your males. Now circumcision, as you know, was the covenant sign given to Abraham and his descendants to mark them out and separate them from the world as the people of God. Other nations did not practice circumcision. The brothers made this special appeal in the form of an ultimatum. Look at verse 17. If you will not agree to be circumcised, we'll just take our sister and go. What are they saying? They're saying something like this. Well, we don't want your livestock. We don't want your money. What we want is for the Hivites to so identify with us as people that we can consider you brothers. Then, but only then, verse 16, we will give you our daughters and take your daughters for ourselves. We'll settle among you. We'll become one people with you. Oh, it's the same term Amar and Shechem themselves had proposed in verse 9 and following. The deceit in all of this is what I will call the hidden agenda. The context shows that Jacob's sons had absolutely no intention of making a marriage alliance or any other kind of alliance, for that matter, with Shechem and the other Hivites. What they were planning was total annihilation for all the Hivites of that city when the males were in severe pain for having been 
circumcised. Verse 25 and following. They intended vengeance, not restitution. Murder, not marriage. And they're setting the stage for that. It's a plot. They thought this through. Verse 18 and following indicate that Shechem and his father Hamor fell for the ruse. Hook, line, and sinker, as we say. Together they went to the elders of the city, at the city gate, and there they made this pitch. Verse 21. These men, they're referring to the Israelites, these men are friendly towards us. Oh, yeah. They said, let them live in our land. Trade in it. The land has plenty of room for them. We can marry their daughters. They can marry ours. Wow. Sounds like a mutual admiration society, doesn't it? All full of pluses, no downside. All they want from us, they go on, is to be circumcised as they themselves are. Verse 22. In other words, they're not asking anything of us that they haven't done themselves. We listen to this and we think, wow, this really is a wonderful agreement. It has Donald Trump, the deal maker, written all over it. Both parties get what they want. There seems to be a mutual respect for all the players. The wishes of all are taken into consideration. No one is disenfranchised. Everyone receives exactly what they had hoped for in the pact. What could possibly go wrong? It's win-win for everybody. But the Hivites have a secret agenda too, and it's full of larceny. What is larceny? I looked it up in the dictionary. Larceny is the wrongful taking and carrying away of the personal goods of another from his or her possession with intent to convert them to the taker's own use. That's larceny. So look at verse 23. This is them speaking. Won't their livestock, their property, and all their other Animals become ours? Hmm. So let us give our consent to them and they will settle among us. Now that's like a rattler and a cobra vying for position to see which of them is going to strike first. Neither Jacob's sons nor the Hivites proved to be honorable men. They are all snakes working on their own venomous strategy. Jacob's two sons, Simeon and Levi, Dinah's blood brothers by Leah, chapter 35, verse 25, 
had a plan to annihilate the Hivites. They waited until the entire male population of the city was in pain due to being circumcised. And then, verse 25, they took their swords and attacked the unsuspecting city, killing every male. The victims, including Amor and Shechem, at this juncture, it appears that the remaining sons of Jacob joined in spoiling the Hivites. Look at verse 27. The sons of Jacob came in from came in upon the dead bodies and looted the city where their sister had been defiled. So the whole gang is in on this. They snatched up, verse 28, flocks, herds, donkeys, everything else of theirs in the city and out in the fields. They carried off all their wealth, their women, their children, taking as plunder everything in the houses. So this raid on the city was so devastating that Jacob confronted Simeon and Levi, accusing them, Hey, you have brought trouble on me by making me a stench to the Canaanites and the Perizzites. The Perizzites would be the rural uh, dwellers. The people living in this land. We are few in number, and if they join forces against me and attack me, I and my household will be destroyed. And Jacob is correct to be distraught. Obviously, he had been excluded from the nefarious plot of his sons. They kept it hush-hush to dad. But he and the household were liable to face the consequences nonetheless. Levi and Simeon remained defiant to the end. Verse 31. Should he, should Shechem, have treated our sister like a prostitute? Father, we regret nothing. Shechem got what he deserved. And if we had to do it all over again, we would do the same thing. They're not repentant. They dig in. We call it doubling down. What a terrible thing to happen in any family. And here it happened, and God records it for us in the Scripture. Now what do we learn from Simeon and Levi? What do they teach us by their impulsive and rash conduct? Number one, what we consider to be the perfect homestead to live out our days may end up a nightmare when faith caves into self-will. And now admittedly, Jacob and his family had gone through some very difficult times in Padam Aran, as we have been studying. True, Isaac and Rebekah both urged Jacob to flee Palestine, go up to Rebekah's brother, Laban, to escape the murderous plot of Esau. You remember that. But Laban was no saint. He tricked Jacob by marrying Leah to him when he was working for Rachel, and he had to work an additional seven years to marry Rachel, so 14 years instead of seven years. 
These two sisters became rivals for Jacob's affection. And then when they could no longer have children, they married off their maidservants to Jacob in a continual effort to produce heirs. The tension mounted when Laban changed Jacob's wages ten times in an attempt to profit from Jacob's herdsman's skills. Well, finally, Jacob had had enough. And by God's directions, he fled from Laban. And as noted today, he arrived safely at the city of Shechem in Canaan. Chapter 33, verse 38. And there Jacob purchased a plot of land in which he pitched his tent and built an altar for worship, obviously believing that this town among the Hivites would become a suitable home for his family. But we have no word from God indicating that the town of Shechem was where God wanted Jacob to be. He just chose that on his own after parting from Esau. Fortunately, we do know where God wanted Jacob to end up because in chapter 35, verse 1, after the fiasco at Shechem, God said to Jacob, Go up to Bethel and settle there and build an altar there to God who appeared to you when you were fleeing from your brother Esau. Whoa, wow. Good times, godly times, blessed times. Where were they experienced? At Bethel? What are you doing down here, Jacob? God sends him back. Down of Shechem held no fond memories for Jacob. The Hivites were descendants of the Canaanites. Who were the Canaanites? Wicked idolaters. It's almost like Lot living near Sodom all over again. Don't you know better, Lot? Don't you know about these people? They're wicked. God hates them. God's going to destroy them. Here you are, living among them. Shechem was obviously a wealthy town. Hamor's son, Shechem, didn't even sneeze at the notion of an opulent dowry for Dinah. He was willing to pay any amount. Perhaps this affluence grew Jacob and his sons to settle there. I don't know. But for whatever reason, wealth, trade routes, abundant grazing land, water, friendly people, none of these things should have been this deciding factor in Jacob's decision to locate there. He was 